Um, just checking. Yes, you can hear me. It's always a bit of a awkward moment when you speak for the first time with a microphone on just to make sure that it actually is working. I think it is working. Will you turn with me to the letter of James? And we're still in chapter 1. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 1213. Still, I think. Okay. Um, the reason why we're doing James in the morning, James in the evening, is because we've got somebody preaching next week. And um, the committee that I've been planning sermons have uh, been told, look, be flexible. I know you're planning to go through James, but if we have somebody preaching with a view, then, you know, be prepared to move around. And that's what we're doing. We're moving around. Um, so, so we've got uh, Roddy McRae coming next week to preach with a view. Roddy Barvis, as he's known by some people. Right, so we're going to read um, from verse 19 to verse 25 together. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Thanks be to God for his word. Okay, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? The question I dread every year. What can I get you for Christmas? Okay, darling, I don't know just be yourself, just having you with me. That's not good enough. And so they go in, imagine something. And sure enough, come Christmas, it's just the very thing I wanted. What a great imagination they have, my two daughters. It's amazing. Um, If you were wanting to think of giving our Heavenly Father a present, would he say the same thing? What do you give to the one who has everything? What does our Heavenly Father desire? James tells us, doesn't he, in the center of our passage, a righteous life that God desires. Righteousness. Now, that's an interpretation that the NIV has put in there. Um, If you've got an ESV, it is the righteousness of God. There's the implication of desire. But I think that's a pretty good interpretation for James's thought. James's letter is about visible righteousness, living a righteous life. Where Jesus comes into this world, it's all unright or not completely right. 
And of course, if it's not completely right, it means it's wrong in one or two or three or just different aspects. And he came into this world to make everything right, to make it righteous. And as Paul tells us, one of the first steps in that is standing in our place, taking our condemnation upon himself so that through faith we can be declared righteous before God. That's what the theologians call an imputed righteousness, a righteousness that is from the courts. It's reckoned to us because of Christ. It's not something we have done for ourselves. It's not something that we do for ourselves. It is a court declaration, as it were, from the court of heaven. You believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins and rose again to make you right. I declare you righteous. And that's what Paul brilliantly and uh, profoundly expounds in the letter to the Romans. James is concerned with a different aspect of righteousness, and that is righteousness that is imparted to us, that's given to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that we become more and more like the righteous one, Jesus. And that's James's big burden. I want my church to be righteous. Now, anybody can say, well, I have a faith, I'm justified. I am righteous in God because I have faith. And you can't say, I am or I aren't, because that's a secret thing. It's an invisible thing, that kind of righteousness. But James is saying, look, living faith, a faith that is not dead, will be visible. It will be seen. It will be seen in righteousness. Righteous men and women who live for the glory of God out of the joy of the news that Jesus brings and what he's done for us. And so I want to think with you together tonight about the righteous life that James is expounding in these verses, verse 19 to 25. So verses 19 and 20. First of all, Righteous life, the righteous life that God really wants from you, that he will be so pleased to get as a gift. Well, the righteous life involves pacing yourself. Now, the way, the the metaphor of the way comes into the Bible, Old and New Testaments. It's about a movement, a movement with Jesus, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's a movement, the walk or the way. And James is reminding us in these two verses that in that walk, there are times to go fast and times to go slow. You've got to learn to pace yourself appropriately to the conditions. Not unless you're trying to win a cross-country race, you don't sprint up the hill in adversity. Although I used to do that to annoy and demoralize uh, my opponents and then peck my way down the other side and hope they wouldn't catch me up. Um, But It was a tactic. It worked. Um, So, well, you wouldn't realize it now. Um, So it's about pacing yourself. There are times to go fast, times to go slow. And fast and slow, not just talk about walking. It's about danger. So change the the picture again from a race against competitors to a walk in the hills. It's misty. You know there are cliffs. You know you are navigating by dead reckoning with a compass and your GPS. 
You don't run around when you know there are cliffs. You go slowly when there are dangers. And when you see the pub is at the end of the walk, you run for the blessing if you've got any energy left. And that's what he's saying here about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There's a lot of danger in the tongue, James says, and he'll, he'll bring that out later on uh, in this same letter about the dangers. So you need to be slow. There's, this is an area where you might trip and you might cause harm to yourself or to others to be slow to that. But before you are, you must be quick to listen. You must jump upon the opportunities that listening gives. And James, in these verses, I think, is thinking first and foremost about listening to God, because isn't that what he says uh, later on? Do not merely listen to the Word. Well, merely listen implies you do listen, but don't just listen to the Word. So, listening to what God says, listening and and paying attention to it. So, be quick to listen to God. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And so, when we read the Bible that God has written for us, we should be hearing, as the Psalms were singing, we should be hearing with joy Jesus speaking to us. And he'll be saying things like, now, John, you need to watch your tongue. You're very quick to answer. You like the quick answer, the flip answer. You like to come out with a quip that makes people laugh but diverts the attention from the real thing. You like to win the argument all the time. You need to be slow to speak but quick to listen. The proverb says, doesn't it, that he who answers without listening is a fool. Um, Husbands, Don't try and interpret what your wife is saying when she stumbles through her words. And this happens a lot in a certain household. That's not what I was intending to say. So you know what I was going to say. Well, go ahead and say it. Sorry. Um, Listen. Listen. My dad used to say the same thing. You would think it's a, a problem, isn't it, with some of us? Listen. It's one of the hardest things to learn to listen well, especially if it's an opportunity to witness because you're too busy thinking of the gospel words that you need to say to the next sentence. Now, can I get in? God, people, God, what have I do? What have I don't? Where am I on that argument for the two ways to live? And you haven't heard a word that person is saying. Or you've jumped upon the first word that they said and think, I've got my answer to that now. To learn to listen and to pause before you speak. That's a righteous life. That's the, God loves that kind of pace when we learn to listen to God first and then to others. And then to speak wisely. Um, slow to speak doesn't mean you speak very slowly. Of course it doesn't mean that. It means you take time and you think about what you're going to say before you say it. We value speed in this society in speech. How annoying it is in a radio interview or a television interview when they ask a question and the expert pauses, takes his time, and you can see they're going at their watch. The producer at the back is watching the clock. is going, five, four, three. And, and this guy hasn't even answered it 
haven't even got his answer out. Um, we live in that kind of snappy, fast-paced answer kind of society. I had a minister in, when I was in training who had been a missionary in Africa, and he had learned to listen and then speak slowly. And it was very annoying on the telephone, um, I have to say, because, have you heard me? Hello, are you there? Are you there? And, and he was very patient with me when I was asking these kind of questions, obviously, but he was thinking about his answer so that what came out came out with authority and power. One of the places where you really need to question your righteousness is if you in, are involved in blog warfare, the Twitter world. It's always far too easy to just snap an answer back, try and win the argument. Um, I don't think, and I'm willing to stand in the presence of God and stand by my hunch here and say, nobody is converted by your arguments in the Twitter sphere or in blogs. No matter how fast and how clever you are in your speech, it will not make a difference. And why do I say that? Because we are to speak the truth in love. And writing like that does not give us the personal interaction that is necessary for that condition of love. Oh, I've got a loving heart towards that person, therefore I'm writing my blog and, and uh, tearing that argument apart. You're not loving them because you have no relationship with them. That's the essential part of that, slow to speak. The righteous life doesn't mean never speak, it means speak with power um, to others. And I think just as a last little application, we need to learn to slow down our speech to God. If God truly gave you everything you asked him when you asked him for it, can you think of what disasters you might cause? You think of the, the ancient story in the Western tradition of Midas, whose touch turned everything to gold, you know, imagine if you could ask, and every single thing, no matter how insignificant, how wild or whatever would come to pass, but there is a power in prayer in what we ask for. Thankfully, God in his mercy doesn't give us everything, but when we come to him in prayer, we need to be careful what we ask for, because sometimes he will give it to us. You think of Andrew. And John, we want to sit in your, uh, uh, sorry, Andrew, we want to sit in your right hand and your left hand, Andrew and John, uh, in your glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking, <laughs> asking, they should have been slower to speak. Can you share my baptism? Oh, yes. Okay, then you will share my baptism, but for me to give you the, uh, uh, it's not my authority to give you to sit on my right or my left hand and one of them had a long life of service, sacrificial service. He was baptized into a life of suffering. And the other was baptized into an early life of martyrdom. Oh, Lord, make me holy. And when the suffering comes to make you holy, Lord, I didn't mean suffering. 
oh Lord, I don't want to be really wealthy, but I just want to be almost as wealthy as these people down the road. And you become wealthy, but you lose your heart of love for God. Be careful, be slow to speak in prayer because it's dangerous. Pace yourself. Be slow to become angry. <laughs> Anger does not bring about that righteousness that God desires. Some people are very quick to anger, and um, those who are slow to anger point the finger at those who are quick to be angry. Must be slow to be angry, but sometimes people who are slow at anger keep on to it unnecessarily long. So how do we avoid dangerous anger? Well, create delays. <laughs> try, try and diffuse the point. Try and, and put it off in, in different ways. For it's, it's kind of like when, how do you avoid um, saying yes to things you don't want to do because you just instantly speak? It's give yourself some opportunities in those cases. So you say, I'll think about that. Or if it's a case of anger, um, know your trigger points in advance. Do you get angry because you're tired and stressed? Well, then, your prayer is not to, Lord, keep me from being angry. Your prayer is, Lord, keep me from being tired, which leads to anger. Um, are you prone when you are sad to feel sorry for yourself and judge other people and therefore get angry at them because they're not doing as much work as you're doing in the church? Well, your prayer isn't then, don't make me angry. Your prayer is, give me space that I might find my heart rejoicing in service for you. Pace yourself. The righteous life that God desires involves going fast and slow. It's not a dance. It's a walk. It's not just a sprint. It's long distance. And it's not on your own. It's with Jesus. Now, if we look at verse 21, the uh, righteous life involves certain passive activities and active activities. Therefore, he says, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So, there is activity required in a righteous life. Oh, we live under grace. Don't give us all these rules. God will love me whatever I do. That's grace. Well, James is saying, under grace, or the righteous life that's imparted to us, there will be a time to say no to things. There'll be a time to clear out, get the attic or the basement or the untidiness of your life or the filth of your life and put it out to the tip. Get Jesus' help day by day to be tidy morally. Um, get Jesus' help day by day to hate what is evil. Get Jesus' help day by day to see what is evil. It's all around you. Sometimes it becomes a bit like the atmosphere that we breathe in that we don't notice when we breathe in and out. So likewise, we live in an evil day in an evil society and we just become acclimatized to it and desensitized to righteousness. So ask him to help you 
day by day, to put aside that which is wrong, to say no to that which is evil and filthy. That's active righteousness. But passive righteousness comes first. Do you notice that? So, Well, it doesn't. It comes first logically. That's what I meant to say. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James is not just giving us commands and saying, do your best. Um, if you read James like that, it'll kill you. It will definitely be more than straw. It'll be like a stone on your back. James is giving us the good news all the way through this letter in little hints, in big hints, in ends and beginnings of paragraphs. Um, throughout it, we got it this morning. There's the crown of life. There is um, new birth. <laughs> there is God's gift to us, which is good and perfect and comes from, from, from heaven, our heavenly Father. And here's, here's another word of, of the good news right in the midst of this passage. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. God says, you are a sinner. I can save you. Jesus says, you are wretched and blind and pitiful. You're totally messed up, but I can sort you out and make you right. Jesus says, there is an answer. There is a work that's been done that you only need to accept by faith. Jesus says, there is the gift of the Holy Spirit who, who gives you the power to become like me more and more day by day. Accept that word. It's planted in you by the Holy Spirit. It's, so when you think of planted, do you think of um, a vine, which is not really a plant. You don't plant into a vine. You plant a seed, don't you, into ground. And so the seed of life, the righteous life, is planted into our hearts. John talks about that in his first letter. The seed of spiritual life planted in us that, that grows up to righteousness, um, that flowers with righteousness. And so that's the same kind of thing James is talking about here. Accept with humility. Meekly accept the Word of God planted in you. So there, there you go. That's faith, isn't it? That, that you don't say, well, I don't need that word. I'm going to try really hard. In fact, I've just read my latest Puritan classic um, or the latest How to Do It book from uh, How to Do It booksellers. And so I can do this Christian thing. I don't need to receive. And James says, look, that's a very proud attitude to have. That's not a meek attitude. Humbly receive. And so when you humbly receive, you receive it with gratitude um, it's not like it's, the, oh, it's the last possible thing I have to do now. It's, thank you, I don't deserve this, but what a lovely present. The Word planted in me, the Word of forgiveness, of new life, of life to come, of heaven on earth, and uh, Jesus coming down to live with us forever, of that wonderful new heavens and new earth, and righteousness everywhere, and no unrighteousness I'm going to accept that word so that I might become righteous and please God. We have that right at the very heart of um, our sacraments. Nobody baptizes themselves. They humbly receive the baptism. Well, I don't know how humbly our covenant babies are, but who knows. Um, but we humbly receive baptism. 
We accept it. We don't go, I baptize me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, we receive communion. Yes, okay, we take it. Take, eat, this is my body, uh, which is broken for you. But it starts with, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And so we take or we receive communion. It's the, it's the visual clues are there for us. The Christian life is about receiving before we do. Okay, so verses 22 to 25, the righteous life. Okay, I've said the righteous life is about pacing yourself, quick, slow. The righteous life is about doing things actively and receiving things passively. And here he's giving us the righteous life is, is really a life of activity, of visible activity. Um, if you just go through these verses and, and look at, well, I'll emphasize the commands about activity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Faith in James's idea, a living faith is visible. You can see it is demonstrable. It comes with activity. It's not just about receiving, accepting the good news and saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, and then doing nothing different. It's about a, lie, a, a love for Jesus, whom we haven't seen, um, and uh, a joy in Jesus, whom we've never met. It, it's a visible, demonstrable thing. It's about serving the poor. It's about serving in the church. It's about doing good to those who don't deserve it, to be like your heavenly Father, to be perfect like him. So James says, look, a righteous life is, is a life of activity to the glory of God. We want to see righteousness. But the source of that righteous life, once again, is the Word, isn't it? We have to listen to the Word. But don't just listen to the word and do nothing. That's self-deceptive. Now, deceivers never really try to deceive themselves, but uh, if you deceive yourself, you're a real idiot. And that's what James is saying. Look, you might try and kid the rest of the, the congregation that you're a Christian, but don't deceive yourself about that. Listen and obey Back to baptism, we are to teach them to obey all that I have commanded them to do. And James goes on to say, well, look, I want you to actively listen and to intently look at, doesn't he? So listen to the word, um, not merely, but anyone who listens but doesn't do it, is in a weird, really weird state. I don't know. Uh, some of you are public speakers and preachers. Um, here's a big confession. Imagine 
The fear of many, many preachers or public speakers is that they embarrass the congregation themselves because their flies are undone. So you're looking in the mirror and you say, oh yeah, I better, better just change and get my tie straight and everything else. And immediately you go out and you forgot what you looked like. Or you look in the mirror and you say, oh, my skirt is tucked into my panties. I better change that a bit because it looks so ridiculous when I go outside. Or you look in the mirror and you say, oh, I've got a piece of toilet paper stuck on my heel. I better do something with that. And you walk out and do nothing about it. That's the kind of thing. That's, that's the shock that, that James wants us to feel about a life that just listens, takes in sermons, reads good books, but doesn't act righteously. Um, now look intently, he says. Look intently, and he reminds us of the gospel, into the perfect law that gives freedom. And keep doing that. And not forgetting. So, this phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom. Back to the gift. You know, when you get the present that just does everything that you want it to do, because it ticks all the boxes, what do you say? Oh, that's just perfect. This Electric screwdriver is just perfect for putting up these shelves. It's the perfect gift. And James has that sense. The law is just perfect for making us righteous, for giving us a righteous life, for pushing us into righteous living. It's just the very tool that we need. Look at the law. Now, what's James mean when he says the law of liberty? I don't think he's referring to, first and foremost, the law that was given through Moses to the people of Israel. That was a law of liberty, no doubt about that. You come to a bunch of slaves, you see, who lived in a world with gods by the, by the dozen. Um, you shall have no other god but me. Only you? What about Seth and Osiris and, and the crocodile god and all the other? No other gods but me. Freedom! You won't have to make any images. Um, you won't have to work seven days out of every seven. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Freedom. Listen, you won't have to be a liar to get, or a false witness bearer, to, just to survive in this land of slavery. You'll be free to be true. You won't, you won't be a slave to desires for other people because I'll give every single one of you my ex-slaves an inheritance just for you. You could go through all the Ten Commandments and see that they are a declaration of freedom. You shall not is not don't. It is you shall not. Liberty. I think James is talking um, here just in the same sense that it's a metaphor for gospel life. It's the law of freedom. It's, it's the new law. So you're brought into, out of the kingdom of this world with its laws. And you're brought into the kingdom of God's Son. And what's the big law in, in, in that country, in the kingdom of God? It's believe me and follow my will. John says it's, it's walking in the light. Or it's abiding in me, the law of freedom. It is, 
It is the rule of this Father's kingdom. So it's not about, let me do these things and then I'll achieve that kingdom right. It's, look, you start off with the laws of liberty. And the laws of liberty are all about being a right kind of guy or girl. It's about doing righteousness. Look intently. Don't just look a little bit at the gospel or, or just a little bit at Jesus and what he's done for you. Look intently and carefully and remember what he says in it and then start doing what he says as soon as he commands it. And, and if you hear him speak to you, don't say, well, I'll think about that later. Do it now or pray now for it. It's a perfect law of freedom, a law of liberty. It's what Paul says, look, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. It's that kind of life that James is talking. Um, And why am I emphasizing that? Because the righteous life, finally, verse 25, is a blessed life. He's kind of concluding a little bit of... uh, preaching here. He begins in verse 12 with, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. And if you do righteousness, you will be blessed in what you do. Blessed. The blessed life, the happy life, the the life of goodness and righteousness and wholesomeness and laughter and growth and fellowship and celebration. The blessed life. The life of not of futility, but of purpose. Um, the life of not failure, but achievement. Um, you uh, do these things. Be a righteous person in the power of God, and you will be blessed. I don't know if you notice one of the things about um, James is that there are a lot of commands in James, a lot of do this and don't do that. Have you noticed that? Well over a hundred in the whole letter. I didn't bother counting how many are in in this little uh, passage from verse 19 to 25. Some people, if you forget about the law of liberty as the foundation of do and don't do, you'll be crushed by all these commands. The law of liberty, the law of blessing, the, the blessedness that we begin with and end with in the Christian righteous life, um, that's a different way of living to the anti-grace. Anti-grace takes the commands of God and says, well, these are possible, these are impossible, I'll do which I can do in my own strength, I'll leave those and I'll ignore them um, and won't look at them very much because they're too difficult, they're impossible for me. I'll do what I can do and be righteous and I'll look down on those who can't do what I'm doing because I'm a righteous person. That's the legalist. That's the person that says we've got to follow the law. And we know we can't follow all the law because it's... If God commands you to do something, you have, it has to be possible for us to do it. Um, so here are the laws that are possible to do. We'll try our hardest, and that will make us righteous. That's the righteous life. That's the anti-grace of legalism. And the other side of that is, is I'm so fed up of being given commands. I've tried my hardest. I can't be like Mr. Pharisee down the road there. He's got 
eight out of ten commandments. I'm only three. What's the point? It's all about, let's say, give me a word that says um, freedom. Grace. Yes, grace. God will love me whatever I do. I'm not going to try hard anymore. Um, and that's the world of antinomianism. And the both of them, um, against the law and legalistic, they're both anti-grace or anti-the law of liberty. What does the law of liberty teach us to do when it comes up with a command? It teaches us to pray. All the commands of God are impossible. Love your enemies. And <laughs> we think that's easy. You haven't had an enemy yet. Love those who persecute you. You think that's easy? You haven't been persecuted yet. Love one another from the heart, says Peter. That's impossible. Count it as joy when you face trials. That's impossible in our own strength. And yet every one of those commands is required to be obeyed to live a righteous life. And so what do we do when we come across a command? Well, grace praise the commands. And here's my, that's my final word. If you want to know the blessing of James and his letter, don't think you can do it in your own strength, with your own um, grit and determination. Turn the easy commands and the impossible commands into prayer. And James will come alive for you in a way that it never was before. Heavenly Father, I'm very slow to listen and I'm fast to speak and I get angry so quickly. Please turn that around. Heavenly Father, I want to please you with a righteous life. I know you desire that. I just remember you saying in Jeremiah that you delight in righteousness. You exercise steadfast love and justice and righteousness for these things you delight. Well, I want to do the things that delight you. Heavenly Father, moral filth, it just clings to me. Um, I'm such a friend with the evil that is all around. I'm hard-hearted to your word. I'm proud when I should be accepting it. So, Heavenly Father, help me to touch Jesus who makes me clean when I touch him with my dirt. And the more I touch him with the dirt, the cleaner I become, and he doesn't get dirty. Help me to, to see the evil that's around and to hate it, to abhor it. Heavenly Father, just help me to have that humility to accept the promises of the good news that will save me from all these things. Heavenly Father, I, uh, <laughs> I listen for good sermons, but don't listen to your word. I'm a great sermon taster. I know sermons better than I know you. And I know that I deceive myself, so help me not to deceive myself. Heavenly Father, I've got better theology than practice, so help me to do what I believe, to remember the things I need to remember, to look at myself in your, in your Bible, see myself, and see what needs to be changed, and ask you day by day. Heavenly Father, I, uh, 
I fall into legalism every day. Bondage. But you've got the perfect law to make me righteous and give me freedom. So help me do it. Father, I, I, I give up so quickly. Help me to continue to do it. Help me not to forget but to remember. Heavenly Father, I don't have a desire for blessing. Awaken that desire in me that I may receive and be a blessing. You see how, what a difference that then makes of that passage. It's not a hammer to beat us into discouragement. It is a golden letter of promise to shape us and make us the people that we're meant to be. You have, I have, little real understanding of the weight of glory that will press upon us when we see Jesus as he is. You know, you, you see these the pictures of these weightlifters and huge weights and they're, and they're, you know, they're crumbling under the weight and you can see them shaking. That's nothing compared to the weight of glory that will, that will come down upon God's people. As we learn to practice righteousness, we are increasing our strength through faith to bear that weight of glory. And if trials come in and help us bear more weight, if trials come in and help us practice righteousness, if uh, poor people come and help us be generous, all these things will bear that weight and help us to bear an even greater weight of glory. We will receive a crown of life because we've lived the righteous life. God will be glorified and we'll be satisfied. Let's pray. Let it all be about Jesus who did everything right. Let it all be about him in his church, for he loves his church and died for his church. Let it all be about the power of the Holy Spirit planted in us. Let it all be about serving God first, serving others next, and serving ourselves last of all. Make us righteous. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to communion, we're going to stand again and sing the, the song, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God.